0: Welcome to the Full Frontal Living Podcast. I'm Lisa Carpenter, Master Life Coach to driven, ambitious humans who want more out of life without having to sacrifice themselves to achieve it. I'll share how it's possible to slow down, take better care of yourself, find more peace and ease, create sustainable energy, stop procrastination and overwhelm, and fall in love with your life, your business, and your body. This podcast is for you if you're ready to learn what it takes to thrive as a high performer, do less but achieve more, make you and your well being a top priority, and create your extraordinary life. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hey, hey, listeners! Thanks for tuning into another episode of the Full Frontal Living podcast. I'm really excited. I'm always excited when I have guests on, Cindy. Um, but I'm especially excited. I say that every time too. I'm especially excited this week. I'm <laughs> just so transparent. I love the people that I have the honor and the privilege of knowing, whether they're friends, colleagues, clients. Uh, Cindy happens to be all of those things and so much more. And it's so lovely to be reconnecting with her today. I'm so excited and proud of her because her new book is coming out and it's so, ah, uh, it really took my breath away. I know I told you that in the email that I sent you. Uh, her book is called, called Art is About Being Whole, and it's her memoir. And it really, really took my breath away because Cindy, Cindy started out as a client of mine way back in 2019, which I was just saying was like a lifetime ago. And so much of our work together was about helping you to explore uh, your vulnerability, which you were... Slightly resistant too. Yes, Anyways, <laughs> before we dive in more, because I could just go off on a whole tangent here. Introduce yourself to everybody, tell them a little bit more about you, and then we are gonna kind of dive into your book and the, the themes and yeah, just all the amazing stuff that uh people who read it are going to learn about themselves. So go ahead, Cindy. Awesome.
1: Great. Yes, I'm Cindy Ingram and I um, have been running a website for art teachers for the past ten years, uh, Art Class Curator, and then in the last few years I've branched off and work with just people in general about how to look at art and connect to it, um, and how to use it as a tool for reflection and self development. And I started practice. I've always done this, and that's what the book talks about. Is I always have done this. I didn't know I was doing it, and just recent, just in the last few years, I've realized that art was always my really safe space. It was a stay, it was a really safe space to feel my feelings when I wasn't feeling them in my regular life. And, um, and so I've been, yeah, just helping other people connect with art. I, I live in Dallas. I have two kids, husband, two dogs. Um, and I just started making art again for the first time since I was young as well in the mm-hmm. last year or two. So I've,
0: calling myself an artist now you are Sorry. an artist you've always been a creative, <laughs> you've, been a creative you've been a creative in denial which so many of us high achievers are and we're, yeah. we're going to talk about that um So you really use, and you've been on the podcast before, and I'm going to, I'm going to link in the show notes, the episode that Cindy was on because she came on. This was like, just before you were starting your journey into kind of coaching, you knew that you wanted to move away from the business you were doing. You knew that art was calling you in a new way. So it's really cool to kind of have this full circle moment because you came on the podcast and you brought on a piece of art and you really challenged me to see different areas of it. So to see that now your entire book has become about this and this is the direction your business has moved in is really profound. And I think that that's what, you know, it was one of the pieces of your book that I love so much is how you take these amazing artworks and you share how you use them as metaphors in your own life to really see into your darkest corners, right? As you talk about going from anxiety and shame to this place of wholeness right? And, and being healed or in the process of healing. I don't know if we're ever, I don't know if we're ever really healed, but I don't actually look at any of us as, as broken per se. It's just this continual journey of like getting to know ourselves. So where I wanted to start, I kind of went through the book again and pulled out like, what are some, what would be some great pieces to share with the listeners and your Gatorade story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really stood out for me. So do you want to share a little bit about the Gatorade story and what it represented? Um, what that represented to you?
1: Okay. So I like probably most of us in this country have had, you know, a really tormented, um, journey with my body, you know, with the the diet cultures that we live in. It's very, um, it's very dramatic, uh, the the stories we put ourselves through, but I was so, so fixated on appearing perfect at all times, um, appearing smart, because smart isn't one thing I always knew that I had, that I was like, if even if I feel completely like a mess on the inside, emotionally or whatever, I could always be smart. And so I had this view that of what smart people should and shouldn't do that was when we worked together and we had that conversation Mm -hmm. a lot of like, what, what can you do as a smart person and what you can't and who cares if you're smart or whatever. But so I had this view of this smart, smart person. And I also lived in a diet culture, which also, you know, what I knew that most people were looking at what I was consuming. And then, so I was interpreting them, telling stories about what I was eating. And so I, would like to drink Gatorade every now and then, but I wouldn't let anybody see me drink Gatorade because I would I would think that they would think that <laughs> it's hard. it's like I think that they think that they think that they that they uh-huh. think but it's like I they would think that I was dumb because. They would think that I thought that Gatorade was healthy when I knew that Gatorade was just sugar. And that was one of the talking points of the diet industry is like, oh, Gatorade's not healthy. It's just sugar. So, you know, just drink water. So it was like there was this shame about drinking the sugar. There was the shame about drinking the, about um, p- people thinking that I thought it was healthy. Mm. And then there's the shame of, oh, because I drink Gatorade, that's why I'm fat. And there, so it was just like these layers and layers of shame. And I remember I was in therapy it's probably my late twenties or mid twenties. And I was like, I was telling this Gatorade story to my therapist. And she was like, well, what do what is behind all of this? And the word that instantly hit me was shame. And it was the first time that I ever really thought of that word as what was actually the problem. And um, I remember just completely stopping me in my tracks, just realizing that it was all shame. It was all this, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was good enough and um, I was a bad person. I was all things wrong. and and that Gatorade was really just kind of like a, a symbol for
0: for that shame, right? for that shame. so what's what's really fascinating is most people'm <laughs> laughing because most people are like, i I don't identify with shame. Yet most people are walking around in shame, not yes. even realizing and' the, they're in shame. And shame is this underlying, belief that we are flawed or broken, or there's something inherently wrong with us. And you can usually discover where you are feeling shame because it shows up as being fearful of what other people think about us. Mm -hmm. So we often use like fear of what they think or how they feel as a way to deflect the shame that we're feeling inside of us. Because I have to say, right, like just point the fingers back at yourself because whatever you're afraid of being judged of, that's where you're judging yourself. And then underneath that judgment, you are most likely always going to find a level of shame. And Mm -hmm. nobody likes to admit that they have feelings of shame because then that makes them feel shameful. (laughs) So we put ourselves in this like round room and keep ourselves trapped. And, you know, I'm sure you've discovered that most people are too busy paying attention to their own garbage yeah. to be concerned about whether or not you are or are not drinking Gatorade. For all the time we spend worried about what other people judge, you know, <laughs> we just spend a lot of time judging ourselves. Really. At the Do you remember when when we were working
1: together and we were it was your first like group of where you brought your clients together into a, like a boxer group? Yeah. And I was I was on a walk. We were talking on boxer, and I was like that day. I was concerned that I was, my, my exercise clothes were matching too much. Do you remember that? <laughs> it oh, was like these purple, like, le- you know, like workout pants. And it was like a purple tank top. And, then, and I was just like, oh, they're going to think I'm trying too hard. And they're going to think, they're going to like, oh, how cute. Look at this fat girl and her like workout clothes that she bought. I'm like, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah nobody I mean, it cares was, nobody does nobody cares it's so i laugh every so time i see those pants <laughs> right so and this is this is this your entire book is these beautiful stories of how you created awareness while using yeah. art and another one that really caught my eye because i love that monet what's the name of it The is it that the one name?
1: was water lily pond water
0: lily pond it's such a beautiful painting right but you yeah. talk about how you get up close <laughs> Like from a distance, this beautiful painting, right? But when you get up close, you really see how messy and complicated it really is, how layered it is. And you use that as a metaphor of how so often people see us as so put together. And like you said, this perfect, right? I'm going to have this perfect facade and I'm not going to let anybody see what's going on behind the scenes, but we are all so layered and complicated. So, you know, you have the smart story, And I remember sharing with you in coaching, I'm like, oh, I had the, I had the opposite. I'm like, well, if I can't be smart, I'll be pretty. And that'll hide my insecurities. And everybody is walking around trying to hide their messiness. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, yeah, that addition to the book was added kind of late. I was reading it and the, what was so tricky. So, you know, if, if listeners, if you haven't figured this out yet, each chapter is, is focused on a work of art and then I use it as sort of as a metaphor to talk about, usually a theme. sometimes there's multiple themes happening in a in the chapter. But I was really stuck many times on the book on how do you really capture a feeling mm-hmm. when there's no narrative behind it? So I you know, especially when it got to the point where you and I were working together, and it was just a lot of conversations it was just a lot of noticing it was a lot of looking around and seeing my environment and noticing how i felt and there was no like really like solid thing to latch onto with the writing and so that's where the art was a beautiful place and so i, I had noticed at that i had already written part one i was like there is something missing here about how like i would share little bits of writing on on social media about you know in my worst periods of social anxiety and whatnot and someone from grad school which was probably my very worst. We had to find the worst anxiety time. <laughs> it was that time, and she was like, "I didn't know this at all about you." She was like, "I just thought you were amazing," and I was like, "How did you not know that?" Because I—that's all I felt was just this overwhelming shame, and so that made me think. I was like, I, "How do I capture that?" And that's really what it is—is is that painting. Is you get up close. And it's just a big mess when you can get far away. And, but we're also too, and that what I point out in that chapter is that there's like even a, a a third layer to it in that Monet actually curated his entire gardens. Um, so he like made the landscape beautiful. Then he painted the landscape. So it was just like, there's all these layers of perspective and depth that we can get into. And um, yeah, yes.
0: Yeah, it is. It's just, it's so true. You know, I spent most of my life like you, with high levels of anxiety, but I couldn't name the anxiety. Like if you had asked me, are you an anxious person? I would have said, no, if somebody would have asked me, um, you know, do you feel worthy and good, good enough? I would have been like, yeah, completely unaware that all these things were going on in the background. And it was because I was so disconnected from that feeling part of me, but like you, certain things would move my emotions. For me, it was more music beautiful things right um for you it was more art so there was always that gateway but then I didn't know how to access it inside me I just knew I would feel things but I didn't know how to feel things and
1: yes and I I'm sorry I'm interrupting but yeah that it is exactly the same thing that I experienced I would I if you would have asked me too or like are you are you an emotional person do you feel your feelings easy I'm like oh yeah you know I cry it movies and I you know in front of paintings and and I and I cry really easy when talking about myself and you know like I I feel things really deeply. Um but it was it was all of the emotion that was being shut out in the rest of my life that I just kept pushing down and pushing down that would like bubble up in these places. Um but I wasn't actually ever giving myself the time or the space or the um the capacity to really feel them and, and know what they are and why they're there and all of that stuff that took a lot. Well, you learning. didn't,
0: you didn't grow up in a home and, you know, most of my clients didn't grow up in homes where we talked about feelings oh, no, ever, like you just don't like get on with it and you learn really quickly what will make your parents happy and what makes them unhappy. And most kids want the approval of their parents and their caretakers, school teachers, whatever it may be. And you just start adjusting yourself to fit the mold of what other people want and what other people like. And also picking up their stories or their frames of reality. And this is a lot of what shaped even your beliefs and image around your body. So when we started working together, it wasn't about you know, how can Cindy lose weight? It was about how can Cindy learn how to be at home and love her body more? It, it was never about weight loss and a significant amount of the women that I work with, it is never about weight loss. That is not what I do anymore. It's can you be at peace? Can you feel at home in yourself at any shape or size? I don't care if you want to lose weight or not. It's irrelevant to me because that doesn't solve the underlying problem that most of us are struggling with, which is not feeling whole within ourselves. So this is why I thought the, the chapter you, you did, which the the painting is just so like, you're going to have to look at the, the, the picture of this in the book, but the painting is very, uh, like you can feel the contrast, hmm. right? Like it's prickly. It's a prickly picture for me. Like I looked at it, I'm like, oh, you can feel the discomfort. And it's called Naked with My Mother. And it's one person sitting naked and then the mother sitting there fully clothed. Neither of them are looking happy at all. It's very Mm -hmm. awkward and uncomfortable. And it was just such a brilliant metaphor as you shared your journey around growing up with your with your mom and anybody who is in kind of my demographic that we're talking to in their 40s or 50s or beyond, their parents grew up in a very different generation around body image. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that, how you've kind of released the stories that your your mother very innocently gave to you because our we don't want to throw our parents under the bus. They were doing the best they could. Sometimes that sucked, but they were doing the best (laughs) they could. And it was really coming from a place of what they believe was love. Like, this is how I can show, like, I want to keep you safe. I want to make sure you're loved, not recognizing that it's, you know, doing the opposite. And just for any parents listening, like I've said this millions of times before, our children will need therapy too, as we try and correct things.
1: Yeah, but we, I overcorrect.
0: You, <laughs> right, we've yeah. all overcorrected, but I would love for you to talk about this journey with your mom. And I thought it was beautiful mm-hmm. how you referenced that you were going to talk about your mom because your mom's still on the planet. Yeah, um, and then how it relates to your daughters now because this is a conversation that I often have with clients around how do I talk to my kids? Like how do I make sure my kids have a great body image? So share away yeah. on this, Cindy.
1: Ooh, okay, so. Yeah, that artwork is amazing. I saw it in person at an art exhibit in Fort Worth a few years ago and just so stunning. It was just, yeah, really prickly. And so this was really it was really hard to write because one, because you know, my mom and I's relationship is ongoing. We are still a part of each other's lives. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel like um I was blaming her in any way. And um, because it, you know someone said once it's not blame it's just reasons you know they're just this is the context that we grew up in and so she is a chronic dieter um has most conversations have there is some sort of reference to what we're eating how we don't eat that normally how you know usually I see her when we're traveling or when she's visiting or I'm visiting and you know it's always comments on oh I don't eat this normally but oh I'm gonna treat myself that you know it's like oh and it it's, Oh, I ate too much. I'll never be able to eat again. You know, all the nonstop comments like that. And I remember, you know, my lunches when she would pack them in high school, it was like a half a sandwich and a few strawberries. And now I have a ninth grade daughter and I'm like, Oh my gosh, she would starve <laughs> at lunches that I had. I, I just, it's so weird. It's so weird to see like my child and know like what I was being fed at the same age. But, um, and so it was growing up around that. Um, and you, you had helped me realize too, that it was like, I had to set some boundaries pretty early, um, about, okay. We don't talk about other people's bodies with me. We don't talk about my body. We don't talk about weight loss. (laughs) Like there was you know, I I had to set those boundaries because I just couldn't, I mean, the the comments still happen, but I, she knows they're not accepted
0: in my life. Right. And I just, I would just want to interject here. If you're listening to Cindy and thinking like, well, what boundaries, like you can actually set boundaries in your life and tell people like hey these are topics that are just off the table like we don't talk about these i'm not comfortable talking about that you can actually tell your friends your family if you're not comfortable having conversations about your body you're not comfortable about people commenting on your body you can set those boundaries and that is yeah. a healthy thing to do
1: yeah that it, it it has helped a lot um and so, you know, after I saw that painting too, I was like really starting to think about just our journey um, as women, especially women who have children, that we start out as part of our mothers. Well, I guess every person does. They're, that we're we are eggs in our mother when she is born. So we were like once in our grandmothers, all three together. And then my daughters were in my mom. As eggs, you know, and it's just, we were all together at one point. And I remember the journey for me really was the realization that what my mom wanted out of life and out of the world and out of her body and out of her relationship with food and all of that is not the same as what I want. And that I'm also allowed to want something different. And so it's been this sort of process of separation of like, which which stories are mine, which stories are hers. Um, what do I want to keep forward into my life and then now at the age my daughters are at they're um 11 and fourteen and I have found that recently the same type of thing is happening is I have been putting my own view of life onto my children and I've just noticed recently I was like my my oldest you know she's I'm really ambitious and I'm, I'm really creative. And she also is really creative. We have a lot in common, but she doesn't have that sort of ambition. So I, I always put this like ambition on her. Then one day I realized I was like, she doesn't, that's not what she wants for her life. She, she wants a very calm, stable life where she, you know, very predictable. And so I caught myself doing that and like, oh, I need to allow her to figure that out too. Um Yeah, it's just such an interesting complicated thing of that separation of at what point do we realize that we're different people yeah and yeah I don't know when my my daughters I don't think have quite fully separate you know they haven't quite Mm -hmm. separated from me I haven't quite separated from them or we're in that like murky
0: right this, this contrast this this messy space of like both and Yeah. Right. We don't want to project our things onto our kids. And again, we're doing the the same thing that our parents did to us. Like, we want to be loving and protective, and we want to, you know, make sure that they have a positive body image or they're, you know, going after their dreams. But our kids are their own sovereign beings, and it's allowing Mm. them to have their own journey of life. So, sharing and sharing all different types of perspectives. You know, I've got one kid who's like uber athletic my oldest, you know, and into his protein shakes and working out, right? He's like, he's like me. And then I've got my other two kids that are very like creative and just, you know, into trains and arts and all. not interested in sports activities, anything like that. And letting them be where they are. I've got one kid who could like eat his body weight three times over in carbohydrates and could never see protein in his life. And that's cool. Like he gets to decide what feels best for him and his body. It's not my job to decide what he does or doesn't. And he has the right to explore around all things health and well being too, as they both do. So I can't live their life for them. So I don't always like the choices they make but they're not my choices. They're their choices. Just like I'm sure my parents don't like all the choices I make, but that doesn't matter because it's my choices. It's what feels good for me. And, you know, our body image, how we think and feel about ourselves. That is, it's such a unique journey for each person.
1: Yeah. And I worry too, like that I over, I maybe overcorrected on this too, because it's like, I've had a rule since they were you know, not round. <laughs> this, this is day one that we don't talk about weight loss in this house. We don't talk, we don't use the word calories. We don't, you know, like I don't, even when I was doing like all those elimination diets to figure out like what was going on, I always framed it as I have headaches and itching and I'm just trying to solve a problem. It was never, it was never about, I was trying to change the shape or size or look of my body. And, um, but then, so because we don't talk necessarily about bodies all that much, I'm like, what if I didn't talk about bodies enough? <laughs> Cause it, but it's like, I, you know, my daughters are both really tall. One of them is like, they're both taller than me at 11 and 14. I'm five eight and I'm five eight. So like, they're both five, nine and all the youngest one's life has always been. She's so tall. She's everybody that meets her talks about how tall she is. And we're always like, all bodies are different and all bodies are great. And tall, being tall is awesome and whatever, <laughs> but it's like, I also, am like, maybe I didn't tell them they're beautiful enough or, well, you know, it was like, whatever it is, because it's like, I don't want that to be the focus, but then now do they, are they going to live a life thinking no one ever told me I was beautiful? And then.
0: See, this is know. the thing. We can't get it right. We can't <laughs> get it wrong. And we yeah. are going, like, they are going to have their journey because for all yeah. the things you did right, there's going to be things that they or grow something. up and go, my mom never told me this, or my mom wasn't for yeah. me that way. It just is the way it is. So all we can do is do our best. And Mm -hmm. as parents, it's, you know, like you did, you set your boundaries within your house around what you were and weren't available to talk about. And then you can always, we can always go back to our kids and say, you know, we never really had conversations around this. Is there anything you're curious about? Is there anything Mm -hmm. that you ever wanted to ask that you never felt like you could ask because it was off limits? Is there anything you're confused about? So I, I find this happens a lot around the conversation with money as well yeah right or sex like there's so many different topics that we've made taboo so then we take them off the table around talking about them which actually doesn't create a healthier relationship either so yeah. but what i know Cindy is that you're an amazing mom that you yeah. love your girls they're going to grow up to be well adjusted and beautiful people and they will find their path and you've modeled to them that it is Totally okay to find people to support you along your journey, whatever you're struggling with. And I actually think that that is the bigger gift to give our kids is to let them know that it's okay to ask for help and get support with whatever you're struggling with and that we all struggle. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah, my
1: oldest goes to the counselor all the time. <laughs> every time, I'm like,
0: I love that you went to the counselor. You know, she just,
1: so she has a little issue with another student or if she's feeling a certain way, she just goes to the counselor and I'm like,
0: I love that. I love that for her. I think that that is the greatest gift that we can give our kids. And the fact that you wrote this book and your children get to see your struggles. Cause I really share with my kids, you know, stuff that goes on for me. And I think that that's really important as parents as well, that we take ourselves off this pedestal that we're supposed to be like leading our kids. So don't let them see that we're like, we don't have it all together. When we take ourselves off that pedestal and we let our kids see us as humans and messy humans, Um, That is the greatest gift that we can give them because then they don't have to live by trying to be perfect like their mom or perfect like their dad.
1: Yeah, like I grew up thinking, like all houses have to be spotless and that, um, you know, there was, there's all these things that I expected of myself as an adult that are not realistic, like to always have the, my mom always had the dishes clean and, you know, all, but she worked at home and did daycare and that was her job. So she was like cleaning the house was part of her job because kids were coming and she was caring for them. So, but then I take that into my life as like, Oh, I always have to have all my stuff organized and clean and all this stuff. And it's just like, why am I holding myself to expectations? That's
0: This is is exactly right. Like my mom was the cookie baking mom, the girl guide scout mom, the be at the school helping out mom, the, and I love her for it, but that's not, that's not wired into my DNA. And I had a lot of shame around being a mom because I was like, I'm the mom that wants to work. I'm the mom that wants to like (laughs) earn the money. I'm the mom that wants to, I'm just going to buy the cookies because I don't want to bake the cookies. And it was really, really challenging for me. You know, like I don't wanna be the mom that's cleaning the house. I don't get any joy out of that. That doesn't make me feel good. And for some women, that's how they express and show love to their families by how they care for their family. To me, that's not, that's, that's yeah. not high on my list of values, but it took me a long time to reconcile that. So it just, it's really fascinating when you start to do this deeper work, whether it's using art, whether it's using music, coach, whatever. Um, the things that you can discover about yourself and the stories that you're living by, which, you know, that's really what your book is all about. So I want to switch directions a little bit because I think it's important that we talk about this. So when you came to work with me and we joke about this, but like Cindy was very fragile. And when I say (laughs) fragile, I'm trying to think of a better word, but it was like, you were like a, a somewhat a previous version of me. Like you didn't like to be touched. And mm-hmm. I've told this story many times, right? Like, don't touch me. I don't, didn't want to be hugged because then I'd have to feel something, but you didn't want to be touched. Your whole body itched and hurt, mm-hmm. joked about how you had to go into your soft little cocoon all the time with your, you know, you have to have certain clothes that you're wearing and certain blankets, which is also a symptom of ADHD, which we talk about in the which book. I've right? learned, yeah. Very like <laughs> tactile. Um, yeah. But a large part of it was discovering just how much you were um, repressing, suppressing and distracting yourself from how you were feeling. And it was coming out in physical symptoms in your body. So because you are such an ambitious go-getter, like most of my clients, right? We were really good at just pushing through and pushing down because I can control this. I can't control this but your body's always going to talk to you. So I'd love for you to talk about, um, the chapter called jaws, which is right. If you've ever seen it, it's the, it's like the movie poster from jaws, jaws at the top and the no jaws at the bottom, swimming up with the girl swimming along, along the top. So if you could share a little bit about that, um, I think that the listeners would get a lot out of that.
1: Yeah, That was my favorite chapter to write. I had so much fun writing that chapter because it just the metaphors were so great. Um, but yeah, I so I've always been very, very ambitious because you know, if even in high school, like my math teacher said, Oh, no, only these two students are going to get fives on the calculus AP exam, they're the only ones smart enough for this. So, um, everybody else, don't get your hopes up too high. And I was like, Hell no, so it's like. I studied my ass off and I got a five on the calculus AP test. Cause so I was like, you don't tell me I can't do something. And so I was super ambitious. And I, so I, I always wanted to start a business. I started my business in 2014 and I, and it was so fun. I loved, I did love it. And I loved, um, I loved being able to create something out of nothing. And I loved that I was making a difference and in all of this. And so, but as I, as I started to get into the business, I started to buy into all of the online business marketers who are like 10 X, 10 X, you know, every year you have to, you have to get bigger and better and bigger and better. And and you can never go down, you know, can never rest. You just keep going and you just keep going. And as I did that, I started to follow their advice more. I started even using their scripts for things and, and, um, and just trying to build this business and trying to grow year by year. And just, and then it got to the point though, that I, I remember around when we started working together and around that time, I started to be like, this isn't fun anymore. (laughs) You know, I was like, there's some, like, it just feels too hard. It feels like I couldn't do it. I felt like uh, everything I tried was just kind of plateau you know and you're not supposed to plateau you're supposed to 10x and so I was not 10xing and then I started um I would do these big launches and it would take me longer and longer to recover from them So you know it's all the work of doing the launch leading up to and it's you know working around the clock and and I'm so distracted by that that I'm you know forgetting to eat forgetting to take care of any physical needs. And then it would take me like, okay, maybe the first time I did it, it took me a couple of weeks to feel better. And then it took me a month and then became like the entire fall. I couldn't, I couldn't work because I was so tired from the launches. And so I was like, well, I'm just working too hard during the launches. Then I stopped working as hard, but still would have that recovery. So I was like, there's clearly something happening that is not that, that I don't know. And then I kept hearing all the, you know, all these online business people saying, um, uh, to get out of your own way, and you know what got you here won't get you there. And I'm like, what does that even mean to get out of your own way? I was like, how am I even in my way? I like, I had no idea. Um, but then I started to, yeah, I was um, itchy all the time. I have got chronic migraines. Um, uh, I think like, I had indigestion at the time too. There was like all these things. Those were the main ones. Itching was the main ones. Like if you had even anybody would touch me, it would just hurt. Um. And, and so I just started to try to figure out like what was going on. I couldn't write anymore. I couldn't like, not even like a sentence. If I had a sentence to write, I would literally tell the person on my team who would write things. I was like, can you write me two sentences about this? Like I couldn't even write two sentences. And now I wrote a whole book. And so it was just that, and it was just that constant thing of like, if I just keep working, if I just keep working, if I just keep working, um, I will never, you know, I can not, I could ignore all of the things kind of lurking under the surface, but it got to the point where I just, my body wouldn't let me do that anymore. And so I had to slow down and figure out what was happening.
0: The physical and emotional repercussions of just pushing through all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a, (laughs) You can only ignore the room of screaming toddlers for so long until, you know, like you, you have to pay attention. And I talk about emotions that way. Like they are all these little children that just want to be seen and heard. And you're like mm-hmm. hey, five, min- five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. Um, and your body yeah. was screaming at you. And I remember all the things that we had, you let go of, like we, we did an audit basically of your life. We had to yeah. turn off all your alerts, um, we gave you permission, which you didn't really need permission, but sometimes you just need someone to say like, what, I can do that. Leave groups. Yeah.
1: I left three of those online marketers. I was in three intensive programs. Yeah.
0: Like to just say like, I've outgrown this space and I need to let go. And yeah, you left, like, you know, I remember groups with, uh, what was it the PTA, the PAC, something at school, but like, oh, right. you left the some rooms, you're PTA. just, I'm like, why do you need to be notified about this stuff, Cindy? And just turning <laughs> off your notifications so you weren't at the yeah. mercy of the world constantly um, because you are so sensitive energetically, yet you weren't doing anything to care for yourself around that. It was like you were literally standing naked out in the world and just yeah. letting people throw rocks at you all the time.
1: Yeah. And I didn't know until it was this really layered approach. It was like, I had to get through, um, the shame first. I had to get through the social anxiety and got kind of got through that. And then I had more layers of <laughs> other things to get through and I had to get through like worthiness and I, you know, and then it, I had to get through all the things before I even realized that I have like really intense sensory issues. Like I had no idea that, um, I'm completely overwhelmed by my surroundings. I just didn't know because I, I was all, I was just used to feeling bad anywhere I went. So I just assumed it was anxiety or I assumed it was something else that I didn't know that like, yeah, now I know I'm like, Oh, if I'm going to go to a place that is going to have a lot of people, I have to make sure that I like go at a time when there's fewer people. And then I have to like, make sure I'm wearing something really comfortable. Cause if I'm wearing anything with a tag or anything scratching me, it's going to make it to, you know, like in the sounds I have earbuds now. It's like, but I had no idea. Like, how did I make it 40 years without knowing that?
0: Well, um, this is the, the power of being human, right? We yeah. adapt and we cope, but yeah. there comes a point in our lives where our coping strategies are actually the things that are like taking us out, right? They're the shark lurking in the mm-hmm. water. And it's just, you know, kudos to you for the, the willingness willingness to be curious about what else is going on here for me and diving into the work because it was hard for you you had to let a lot of stuff go i remember yeah. you struggling around your business and like like what do you do when your business is making good money and you need to be like i can't even write two sentences right now yeah. i mean i've just come off a year that has been really really challenging in my yeah. business and that i've just had to say it. it's okay it's okay like yeah. i just have to let things go right now because focusing on my healing and longevity, right? Like resilience for me is the ability to no longer need to push through. Like being resilient is about learning how to really care for yourself when things are tough so that you can show up tomorrow and the mm-hmm. next day and the next day from a place of really being loving and kind towards yourself. So yeah. it's just- I love your journey and I love that it's culminated in this book. And this was a book that was not initially what you set out to write, which I also <laughs> love. Like this <laughs> turned to, oh my God, I'm writing a memoir. Um, I remember yeah, I was going to write
1: this art education book and it was yeah. that, that was going to revive my business. That's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's right. No. So this is a really beautiful book, Cindy. And anybody who picks it up and reads it is going to find something about themselves within it because that's, metaphors are such beautiful ways they're such beautiful teachers I use metaphor all the time in my coaching work and I'm just really excited for where this book is going to take you and the impact that it's going to have in the world Uh, but more importantly you know just from you know as a friend as a coach as a colleague I'm so proud of you for what it's worth because I know the journey it's taken you to be so open and so vulnerable and so raw. And I know how much that's going to help other people heal. So thank you. I'm really, I'm just, I'm so excited for this book to come out. So we are recording this actually the day before yes. the book drops. It drops on October 31st, Halloween. How did you pick Halloween for your?
1: Oh yeah. Day? It was the last good date so it wouldn't be too close to the holidays, right? <laughs> we couldn't make any earlier date next week. It's election day in the U S and the week before oh, that's okay. the week before Thanksgiving. And then you got Thanksgiving. So it was like Halloween. Is, Halloween.
0: It is. Is, right? yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with before we wrap this up and we send them to uh, where they need to go to learn more about you?
1: Well, I think, I think the only thing I would say is like, if you're a little bit worried about the art part of it, that it's don't not, not to be worried about that part of it. You know, it's not, it's, it's not, not a scary way to talk about art and it's actually really lovely. So I think if that's holding you back, don't worry about that. I'll, I've got you, but um, yeah, I just, it was, I've created a lot of things in my life and I have, uh, this is the best thing I ever created. It's the most true thing. It's the most, mm. I cannot be more proud of it. Um, and I just,
0: yeah. I feel that from you.
1: Yeah. like I, I feel that. I
0: feel that from you. Just, it's so, ah, to even be a small part of your journey, Cindy, it's really like, it just really takes my breath away. And the book yes. really, really took my breath away. So for everybody tomorrow on October 31st, <clears throat> excuse me, or whenever you're listening to this, I want you to go to art is about And that will direct you to where you can buy your copy. Is it going to be available on Kindle and?
1: Yes, it'll be on Kindle. It's it's only 99 cents this week. Um, the Kindle copy is, but it does not have the art in it. So, Mm. um, you're missing a big piece of it. There is a, you know, a link, you can go look at the art online, but the book is beautiful. So
0: it is beautiful. It really, really is beautiful. And it is worth looking at the artwork. And I hope that in listening to this podcast, uh, and listening to Cindy, that you view art through a different lens, because I know yeah. it's changed how I view art now. I don't just look at what's in front of me. Now I ask myself, what is the story this is telling me? Not what is the artist trying to tell me, but what is the what is the painting trying to tell me? Because I believe that when an artist puts their work out there, once it leaves their body,
1: yeah. that
0: it's for other people. And it's what however you want to interpret it. To find your lessons that's that's what i've mm-hmm. learned from reading your book and looking at art in a different way whereas before i was very intimidated by art i'm like what am i supposed to be looking at here
1: <laughs> yeah everybody feels like they're missing something right. and no. that's, you're not you're human you know how to, you know what you no. know how to do it just put all the just like the other stuff put all the stories of obligations and shoulds behind right. you and just enjoy what you're seeing
0: well i think this is going to open up a whole new world for people cindy so thank you for letting us into yours Thank you and thanks for coming on the you. podcast today. I appreciate you. Me too. Now go That's buy great. Cindy's book and yes. I'll put all the links in the show notes. So artisaboutbeingwhole.com. dot com. Uh what's your Instagram handle? Uh, art and Self. Art and Self. And you have a website as well? Other than this um, one, yes,
1: artandself.com.
0: Art and but self-help. art is
1: not oh. being hauled, we'll direct
0: you to there. Everything. Okay. We're just gonna send everybody there. Okay, you can find yeah. everything in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I will catch you on the next episode.